Welcome to Milkmaid's Podcast, the unconventional homesteading podcast. I'm Stephanie from Wyoming. And I'm Tara from Montana. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into an inclusive homesteading topic from canning, dairy animals, gardening, animal husbandry, and everything in between. We're never going to figure this microphone situation out. It's hard because we're recording together. Together. We're here. In Wyoming. Wyoming version. Also after dark. After dark. (laughs) Not so sensual, though. No. We both are disgusting messes. It's great. It's what we do. (laughs) You really should get yourself a best friend where you can not wear your bra, A. Leak milk all over the place. Yeah. Number two, (laughs) leak milk all over the place. Animal milk and human milk. All of it. All of it. And then number three, you just don't get out of your pajamas. All day long. Really? It's we the, even went to town. The ideal. <laughs> Here's the deal. I always throw overalls over my pajamas. So yeah. I've got that going for me. I've got that going for me. You didn't. You made a choice. Well, that's because I only fit into like two things right now. Right. So Post- my choices are limited. <laughs> postpartum bodies are fun. It's something. Right. It's so- something. You ask me. Who are we shouting out this week? I like how we tell each other what to say now, <laughs> and we don't even pretend to edit it out. These are fire signs for you. We're so bossy. I like how I tell you what to do on your farm. Like, I run this place. Like, I'm going to do this. You have been here, like, 37 minutes. Right. So, logically. <laughs> Somebody's got to take control of this situation here. <laughs> we just shoot from the hip around here. <laughs> Good. Excellent. Things are going well. So pertaining to our topic today, I wanted to kind of do a theme and give our shout out to the Livestock Conservancy. And the mission of the Livestock Conservancy is to protect endangered livestock and poultry breeds from extinction. One in five livestock breeds are in danger of extinction currently. And this is very concerning because as we know, biodiversity creates an incredible safety net for our food system. Just think of like bananas, how... I think about the banana crisis. Right. Like an unreasonable amount i was robbed of a good banana you know what i mean yeah like i'll never have that kind of banana because that disease just wiped out the good bananas and now we have i still like the bananas but i think about the fact that this might be my last banana like way more than i i have banana induced anxiety (laughs) that's the thing we don't want that with livestock we don't want we won't stand for it (laughs) anxiety okay right so we need biodiversity so Once a breed is lost, that genetic diversity they offered is gone forever. And the Livestock Conservancy has been working since 1977 in order to protect donkeys, cattle, goats, sheep, pigs, rabbits, chickens, ducks, geese, and turkey breeds that are being threatened. Um, There are many farms working with the Livestock Conservancy, and in turn, the Livestock Conservancy is able to answer their questions and offer support with these breeds. But the Livestock Conservancy does not own any animals. They work with farmers to conserve these breeds for all of us. And first they discover a breed that meets their classification. And if they do in fact need help to prevent their loss, they'll help them. After that, they work with farmers to secure these genetics. Lastly, they want to be able to sustain these animals and bridge the gap between farm and plate. And this requires education and a lot of work. They offer a lot of breed information on their website. And if you are looking for something specific, they can help point you in a good direction to find a breeder or where you can purchase these animals to eat. And if this is something you feel passionately about, you can donate at livestockconservancy.org. And they have a website we'll link in the show notes where you can donate directly. 
And I know last year I was able to get some of their stamps, which I thought were really fun and cool and everyone kind of loved them. They're so unique. And I really enjoyed getting to know some of these critically endangered breeds, like the mule foot hog was one that, um, I have a friend that raises them. So that was fun to get to know them. Yeah, no, I think they're great. We, um, on our honeymoon, we went to this place that was like, um, uh, like time period sort of village. Oh yeah. Those are fun. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, as a, like a component of this place, they had a barn that had like just kind of Noah's Ark style two of a couple different endangered breeds to shout out the livestock conservancy. Okay. Which was really cool. That was the first time I'd ever heard of it though. Yeah. They're doing incredible work. So if you want to reach out to us, send us a shout out, send us an email at milkmaidspodcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up at Facebook or Instagram at Milkmaids Podcast or, or, and, brother, <laughs> leave us a review. You can do both. <laughs> right. <laughs> leave us a review. Five stars would be awesome. Subscribe, too. That's do both. Thing. Do those do things. Do it all. Also, update on the bird flu. Uh, it's in Wyoming and Montana. Is it close to where you are? No, not necessarily. Right. But who's right. to say? Yours are pretty locked up. At the moment, yeah. 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 I need to figure that out. I think... Because we have an overwhelming amount of birds, so I'm going to have to, like, cull some, which I should do anyway. You should do that if you have a lot of layers. And then, I don't know. I, I think people want to eat guineas, so I'm going to see if people want to eat some guineas because I have an overwhelming amount. And then maybe be able to lock them up. But, yeah, that's kind of our go-to right now. Are you going to try and eat the guineas? No. They're kind of, they look stringy. Like, they look like they would be stringy. <laughs> they look stringy. People like it. I guess they compare it to like venison, but I'm no, not. Yeah, I know. That's why I, was... I have chicken. Like, why would I want to eat guineas? I guess I'm a brat. They're supposed to be better than chicken. I was just curious if Listen, you were going to try it. You don't have to try it. Chicken is a stretch for me. I know. I am very weird about meats. She's a, a recent chicken eater. A recent. Converted. <laughs> Peer pressured into <laughs> eating chicken. <laughs> now Stephanie can be friends with me. <laughs> Should we do a collective farm update? Sure. We did chores all together today. Right. So it is really cold here. Um, I don't even know how cold in the twenties. I think it's very rude. Uh, very rude. We have rude weather, and it's snowing. And Brian Brian had to go pick up our bee packages <laughs> because why, why not? Why wouldn't they arrive in With a snowstorm? Storm? And yeah. the wind was like twenty miles an hour. It was really annoying. It was like sideways snowing, Hor- horizontal snow, as I call it. Yeah. And so, anyways, Brian was doing that. And so Tara and I had to haul our asses and all of our children's asses out. <laughs> Lots of asses. To the barn. So many kids. But it went really well. But we yeah. did that. But it was it was a little bit of juggling. It was kind of fun to do that together, I right. think. Right. And so you milk the cow with a machine. And then while I wash the machine, you milk the goats. Right. And there's three goats. <laughs> yeah. And by the time I was done even milking all three and feeding the kids goat kids you were just finishing up cleaning the machine yeah it's a chore right and like I learned a lot about myself (laughs) in this experience (laughs) and that was that I don't want to machine milk yeah it's um I'm so lazy for that it's a pain it really is it really is better for more than one cow yeah but one cow is I would say even like two cows I would prefer to yeah. hand milk. I know when you start out, you're slow, but you just get used to milking, I guess. And I guess it depends on the teats too. Like Virgie's teats are pretty short. Yeah. I've never hand milked her right. before. Right. I've stripped her out quick, like mm-hmm. just to get like the first couple strips out, but not milking the whole system. Mm-hmm. 
I also honestly like I can milk out three gallons on the goats, but they're like in between a bunch of goats. I've never hand milked a cow that makes that much milk either. Oh yeah, that's a lot of milk. And right now she's at three and a half gallons, right. but she's at towards the end of her cycle. Well, and then that machine that it, or the bucket that it goes into is like obscenely heavy. Yeah, so, the whole system is very heavy. Right. I learned a lot. So <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. And goats were harder for me to milk as well. So I learned that as well. Yeah, I still maintain that they're harder just because they're different than what you have. Yeah. And if you had that one goat, you would get very efficient right. on it. Right, of course. Because you're doing it daily. It's, it's like, just different than... Like, it was the same thing when I went to your house and tried to milk Dixie. Yeah. And, like, I kind of struggled. <laughs> it's like mi- milking Sasquatch. Right. Yeah, I kind of struggled because um, she was significantly different from Maribel. Right. So, it just, you know, it just is. But... You're, yeah, you're used to who you milk, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, really normal stuff. And I have a feeling, like, this sounds so stupid and our listeners are like, oh, yeah, no, totally. Like, if you get it, get it, you get it. <laughs> right. Honestly. Oh but, like, we have a good system down together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It works out really well. Yeah, seriously. I'm going to be, like, so sad when you go home. I know. Me too. It's Brian's work just changed, and I had, I'm going to have to do it by myself. Which is insane. Similar amount of children. Right. But, yeah, we, I, was, I was just impressed how we were, like, just kind of went right through it. No hiccups, so. No. But that's about it. Do you have anything on your home farm happening? Oh, I don't think I... I, I got the Cornish Cross, so I got 31. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about that. Because they usually throw in a free one. Mm-hmm. Murray McMurray. Yeah. I don't know if other ones most do. Most places. Well, I don't know about most places. Moyers typically does. And then the Freedom Ranger Hatchery does. does too. Okay. Yeah. I think it's just common practice to throw in one, so just mental note of that. So we got 31, and we still have 31. We got them, like, two weeks... They're two weeks old, I want to say? Yeah, they're two weeks old Probably. Wednesdays, so this week. They'll be two weeks old when you hear this. Not that you're, like, no, sitting you're, on the edge of your seat. People are keeping track. <laughs> no, and they're doing good. We had to, like, adjust on the fly because Cornish Cross, I guess, can be really susceptible to... What are they called? <laughs> you were obsessed with the drafts. <laughs> drafts. All chickens, I think, could be... <laughs> the drafts. <laughs> you got you to gotta make sure that they the draft doesn't get them. <laughs> so... Uh, I, I mentioned that drafts may be an issue <laughs> in her new coop, it. and it's all she could talk about, really. <laughs> my chickens are amazing, and my coop's so nice, but the drafts, <laughs> but the drafts. Well, my poor husband had to go all the way to town and buy, what is it, like that board? He hates me. <laughs> I think he's just Every used time to I'm it. around, he, I make things so much more difficult <laughs> for him. It's so fun. Oh my gosh. I love that him and I are just to the point where he tells me though. Yeah. He's like, like last ah. time I was there, he actually said, I can't wait for you to go home. <laughs> Which is great. Like we were joking with each other, but right. I'm like, yeah. I could see that yeah. for you. <laughs> that makes sense. Fair enough. So this poor man's had to run home and like, or to town and get like bored <laughs> to put up for these poor chickens, but they're doing great now. Duh. Yeah. Because you solved the draft issue. I solved the draft <laughs> issue that my friend, you know, panicked about. So <laughs> I said one thing. I did none of the panicking. <laughs> I did all of the panicking, really. I did the panicking for all oh of us. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I haven't had any bad luck with them so far, but, like, that's a thing. It can change. So knock on wood. They're going to be great. <laughs> I'm not manifesting this. I do not accept You're this energy. for all of these chickens to just explode or something. 
then you're spontaneously combust. Then you're going to be like, I knew it. I just knew it. <laughs> Look, if you don't prepare for the worst, you know, like, and then good things happen, but slightly bad things happen, then you're like, see, I told you. What? It's a Leo thing. <laughs> no, I mean, I have crippling anxiety as well. <laughs> I too have crippling. You have whole ass like four beehives in a chicken coop. Yeah. You are it's also afraid of drafts. <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with the bees, but it was a good call. The Yeah, we had to, instead of installing all of those tens of thousands of bees outside in the snowstorm. Wyoming winter. Right. You know, the middle of April. Brian carried entire beehives into the chicken coop because <laughs> the chickens are in the greenhouse, obviously. Right. <laughs> It's really a situation. Look, nobody could ever rob you. No, they would, <laughs> they would not know where to look. They wouldn't. They're like, where do we need to look for these chickens? This is my tactic. Just sheer chaos. <laughs> it's working. It's true. Mm-hmm. All right. What are we going to talk about today? We're talking about pigs. pigs. Pig breeds. Pig breeds. Breeds of pigs, breeds if of you pigs. will. So we broke it up into two different categories. We're doing a couple conventional pigs. Which, do you want to define conventional pigs for the listeners? Well, I could make this really long or really short. Short. Okay. You want the short version. Okay, so basically, all pigs... That's not the short version, Tara. Pull it together. Don't spit out your beard. Does your nose hurt now? Okay. Oh, it's always my fault. <laughs> Everything's your fault. Okay. so much editing to do. <laughs> so much. I'll just probably put it up raw. Good. Oh, good. No one's going to want to listen to this. So conventional pigs are those that grow fast. So usually five to seven months. And these are the ones that are preferred for most people because they grow so fast. They're just lacking marbling or a lot of flavor or fat. Because um, as a society, they tried to get away from that. We'll talk about that later when we address heritage pigs. But for now, just know that a conventional pig is a fast-growing pig that is preferred in industrial type of farming. And that could be, like, just buildings, or it could be, like, 4-H pigs, anything like that. Show pigs. So that's what you need to know about a conventional breed hog. And you're up first, Stephanie. So the first one is my my favorite, the Berkshire. And these are the pigs that we started out with on our farm before Tara got a hold of us. (laughs) But we still love them. So the Berkshire is known as the ladies pig. And this is to comment on how incredibly kind and well-natured they are. You know, even a lady can handle them. Oh, yes. feeble little. Us feeble folk. Right? Um, But it's also true. They're really, really kind pigs. And they're a large pig. Males weigh about 600 pounds and females weigh about 500 pounds at maturity. And they're typically black with white socks, but sometimes they can have white on their snout. They have erect ears and a moderate length snout, but they haven't always had that classic look. When the breed originated, they were actually fawn to red in color and forming or and frequently adorning spots. And they had floppy ears. Yeah. Like a Berkshire with floppy ears is my dream. Right. It's Wouldn't really all best? I want. Um, so they're one of England's oldest pigs dating back to 1790 and they're 
and they're for sure the oldest pig with the registry. Or when they first came to be, they were a huge pig, way bigger than they are today. In 1825, Lord Barrington introduced Chinese and East Asian pigs to the bloodline, which quickly created the Berkshire pig that we're familiar with today. They're early finishing pigs, which is what makes them a great conventional pig. Their meat tends to have more marbling than other conventional pigs, which leads to an overall better flavor. Um, the breed is also noted for having heavy milk production while losing little flesh when raising piglets. Yeah. Which is a really good quality. Right. When you're breeding something, you want uh, lines that don't lose a lot of condition because at the time, like you're just degrading your breeding stock and you want your breeding stock to stay healthy so you can keep breeding them. Right. That's a plus for the Berkshires for sure. The next is one of the most popular pigs, Yorkshire. And this breed developed from a cross between a white pig breed in England with a breed that originated from China that was known to be shorter and fatter. And this created the Yorkshire, also known as the mother breed for good reasoning. And when you think of a pig, most people are almost always going to think of a Yorkshire. And that's really for a good reason, as they are the most popular breed across the entire globe, with a majority of large-scale pig operations running Yorkshires. So think of a pink pig. Children's books. Children's books, yeah. Children's movies about pigs. They're all pink. Clothing with farm animals on mm-hmm. it. Books with cl- farm animals on it. They're oh. rampant. They're, <laughs> they're everywhere. They are white or are commonly referred to as pink pigs with erect ears, and they no, they do not have any spots, and they're longer, and they are lean. And they really gained popularity in the U.S. during the 20th century when the entire country was convinced all fat was bad for you and must be avoided at all costs. In fact, this is when we see most pig breeds change to very lean white meat, because if you look at old-timey photos of men in suits with their pigs, <laughs> the pigs are just bulky. They look huge and fat and that's because back really back in the day people needed that fat for whatever like candles they used to make fat out of soap obviously they used to right cook everything in lard everything and that was so valuable to them but in the 20th century we really see that drop off in popularity and meat being the king of what they're looking for in marketing marketing and the Yorkshire was one of the biggest breeds used for this mov- movement and commonly referred to as a bacon breed. And in those days, as people m- were moving away from purchasing lard and purchasing more bacon, you can see why this really took off. And Yorkshires are considered to be well-mannered and for the most part, easygoing. They are known as excellent mothers, hence the name of being the mother breed. And they do have large litters, which is another reason they really gain popularity with large-scale farmers. So a lot of times if you look at confined operations you'll see that they're pink pigs and that's for good reasoning because they do have large litters they're just easier to manage and like a cornish cross they just grow how you can evaluate them i guess like you can feed them this much and then they're going to grow this much and you butcher at five months they're really easy to manage in that regard and it's with testing, it's proven that Yorks had the best feed conversion rate out of all other breeds they tried with a feed conversion rate of 1.94. So next up are Hampshires. And Hampshires are black with a white belt. Think the Oreo pigs. Yeah. They have erect ears and are heavily muscled and very lean meat. And the, quote, old English breed originated in Scotland and North, northern England. And they were import, imported into America in or between 1925 and 1935 from Hampshire County in England. 
which will give you a hint at the name. So many of the first hogs in America were grown and bred in Kentucky, and they were noted for having thinner skin than most hogs, earning them the nickname Thin Rinds. Good for them. That was their honestly. name. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Bullies. <laughs> thin skinned pigs. <laughs> so they grew in popularity due to their hardiness, vigor, prolific. What is that word? Prolificacy. Prolificacy. Mm-hmm. And foraging characteristics. Just means like how prolific. Why could I not say that word? Prolificacy. Yes, prolificacy. So in 1893, the, the American Thin Rind Association no. was started. Yep. No. But these hogs carried so many nicknames from McGee Hog. No. McKay Hog. Saddleback. Are you ready? Ring middle. Good for them. They have a ring in the middle. <laughs> get it? A Do ring, you get it? A ring middle. Ring middle. That's my favorite. So they ended up going through a series of rebranding until in 1939, the name Hampshire Sire, Hampshire Swine Registry was officially set. Listen, you can tell these people did not have TV. No. The American Thin Rind Association. I mean, it really should have stayed Thin Rind or Ring Metal. I could have bought either one. I'm about it. Right. I like the McGee Hog, honestly. So McGee and McKay are two names that were thought to be original importers. Okay. Is where that comes from. And I guess Saddleback, you could yeah, you could make that one up too. Anyways, I'm still lobbying for ring metal. Right. Everybody sign the petition. We're going to start a change.org <laughs> petition. So today these pigs are extremely popular in the conventional world, and you will see them especially like at county fairs. I know oh, for sure. our county fair, that's the only breed that's there. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. My kids had them for the fair last year. Yeah, they're just super popular. And they're known today to be lean and profitable as fast growers. They have a minimal amount of back fat and large loin eyes. Boars, however, are known to be more aggressive, which is less than ideal. And sows have a reputation for being great mothers compared to other commercial pigs. There's two camps to that. Some people absolutely hate Hampshires and some people absolutely hate Yorkshires for moms. So like you got to find good lines. It doesn't necessarily mean that every Yorkshire sow is going to be the best mother. Nor does it mean that Hampshires are going to be the best mothers. Um, well, and there's different qu- characteristics for best mothers. Like right. the Berkshires specifically said they were good mothers because they could produce milk and keep condition. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they would tend to their piglets right. well, right? Or right. not squash them or yeah. not there's eat a them or whatever. There's a whole lot of nuance to this. And that's why a lot of people do cross pigs. Mm-hmm. Even conventional, like confined places will cross pigs for this reason yeah right okay heritage breeds so what is a heritage breed anyway and we hear this term a lot in the homesteading and small-scale farming world and i'm sure you've heard it but like what does it mean and i don't know if i've actually heard a definition before but i did find a great definition from the livestock conservancy that i'm going to quote word for word just because they have done an incredible job explaining it Quote, heritage is largely a term of art and not science, but the Livestock Conservancy is working to define heritage for various species in order to codify the term in the marketplace. Thus far, the Conservancy has defined heritage for chickens, turkeys, cattle, and swine. In a more general sense, heritage animals are the animals that you'd find on your great-grandparents' farm. So heritage is an umbrella term that embraces pure breeds of livestock and poultry, with deep histories in the United States. And these are animals that were bred over time to develop traits that made them suited to specific local environments. Because these breeds have been developed and selected over time, they tend to have better disease resistance, 
are well adapted to their environments and thrive on pasture-based settings. So that can be really appealing to a homesteader who wants their pigs to graze on three acres or in an acorn field. You can't necessarily take a Yorkshire and place them in a pasture and expect them to thrive when it's really sunny during the day and then they get really cold, like they're going to get sunburned and then they're gonna get too cold because they can't keep any of the heat in. They're just not developed for that kind of structure. Whereas heritage breeds are developed for these systems specifically environments that they have grown and developed in. I guess I'm gonna talk, talk about the first one because it's my favorite and I had to include it because it's my favorite, large blacks. So this breed is from Cornwall, Devon and Somerset, which is located in Southwestern England. What I didn't know is that in England where they really were the most popular kept pig is that they were originally known as the lop-eared black, which adorable, That's like cute. we should have stuck with that, right? And it's really fitting considering that the large hogs have massive ears that flop down in front of their eyes. Along with that, they are very long, always pure black and fairly good food converters. And this breed was specifically kept because they were so good at foraging, largely due to the fact that their ears can protect their eyes when the pigs are rooting, which I didn't know either. I didn't realize that was the reason for those Right. When I wrote ears. this, I went out and watched my pigs because they're on like an acre and a half right now. Um, and there's not much grass, so they've been rooting a lot. And Matilda has the biggest ears you've ever seen on a pig. They're and ridiculous. She, she was rooting, and then her ears were, like, slapping her in the face, but none was coming into her face. They were all going – all the stuff was going off of her ears. It was so cute. And I was like, oh, yeah. That's cool when you see form and function go together. Exactly. Yeah. And that's when I really started to pay attention to how her ears are working in her favor. So they are excellent mothers, and to tend to throw bigger litters – in the heritage pig world and the breed is very docile like almost to a degree in which you're frustrated with they're so docile Matilda is a dog seriously she'd lay down for belly rubs yeah they're like, very personable too come give me love yeah I miss her she's doing good but one note they are often thought of as a lard breed so lard breed and heritage breed are two very different things and this isn't the case with large blacks. They are a heritage breed and their application was to be used on pasture and, for and in forests. So their popularity dropped when conventional farming became the most common practice because it was like trying to put a square peg in a round hole, right? right. They simply can't thrive in a building. Can we take a moment? Yeah. Take a pause. Can you tell, tell the people what a lard breed is? So a lard breed is, we do have one on the uh, list, actually two, but... These are pigs that were specifically bred for their lard because lard was so valuable. So they have more of a fat cap and just create so much fat. So even when you're feeding them basically nothing, they're just creating fat instead of muscle. And muscle is where you get the meat, and then the fat cap is where you get the lard. Right, but I think, yeah, so I think that was really important to note that not all heritage breeds are lard breeds. Right. Yeah. That's and, the big takeaway. Yeah, so... That doesn't mean that you don't get any lard. In fact, in conventional breeds, you're still getting fat off of all of those conventional breeds. Mm -hmm. Pigs are just more fat in general, but you're getting less so than you would get on like an American guinea hog compared yeah. to a large black that you fed out. So that's good to know. And during the 1960s, when almost all animal husbandry was changing into concrete feedlots and buildings, the large black was almost extinct, which is really sad. And in 1973, the breed was put on the Rare Breed Survival Trust Critically Endangered Livestock list. With the pastured pig movement becoming so popular, many people are now experiencing the same benefits from the large black hogs 
that they saw back in the day when everyone raised their pigs on pasture or in forest. And the breed seems to be doing a lot better in both the UK and in the US. And this is a really great choice if you're looking into hogs for a pastured system. And you just have to note that you're not going to feed them like a conventional pig. So I don't know if your feed store does this, but they'll give you a list of how to feed your pig to grow it out in five to six months. And I sold some large black crosses to a friend and she went and got feed from them. And they're like, okay, this is what you have to do. And I was like, absolutely do not do that. Cause you're just going to have fat. You do have to finish most heritage pigs slower. Um, so as a general rule, yeah. as a general rule, for sure. But here's the thing. They're like, it's like you brought up the reference earlier, but it's like comparing a Cornish cross to a laying hen. Right. And you have to feed a Cornish cross with that growth rate. Yeah. You have to keep up with it. Same thing with a Yorkshire. Right. You have to keep up with that feed or with that, that growth rate. Otherwise you'll have a sickly hog. Right. right. But an animal that's slower growing, you can't just pour a bunch of feed to and expect it to get to the same Right. Same caliber. Right. It's just... It's a, da- all, all, a dance, It's like, really. I mean, yeah, the thing is, and it's the same with chickens that I always say, like, you got to meet the Cornish cross where they're at. Right. Whatever pig breed you get, you have to meet them where they're at. The biggest thing, like you're saying, though, is that ev- all of the literature out there is for conventional hogs. Right. And if you get something that's not a very conventional hog, you're going to need to do feeding research outside of that. Right. And the best way to do that, if you're buying from somebody who's reputable, is just ask them. Because like I said, my friend just asked me and I was like, absolutely not. Do not do that. Because the feed store people aren't familiar with what breed you're raising. And the breeder wants you to be successful. So you come back and buy more pigs. Completely. Yeah. Right. So just ask them. Easy peasy, right? Done. Done. So I'm going to do the next one as well. You can say this several ways. I've heard coon coon, cooney coon, or cooney cooney. So pick one. Like nobody (laughs) cares, right? We're going to get strongly People worded. People get very passionate <laughs> you know? about that. So that's like fine. I can spell it if you want me to. And then you can write me an email about how I spelled it wrong. But whatever. <laughs> but you can't talk about heritage pigs without mentioning them. Because as of right now, they are not listed on the Livestock Conservancy. But they are gaining popularity with first-time he- homesteaders due to the large push with these little guys. I see them on like every other YouTube channel. They're literally everywhere. They're everywhere. Which is so funny to me because all these people have milking goats or milking cow. And they're straight just feeding all of that milk to the pigs. And I'm like cringing Mm -hmm. because as I've said before, these are a large breed because they just get so fat off of nothing. Grass basically. So you can't just be pouring the milk to them anyway. And these cute little pigs were originally found on the, the Maori islands of New Zealand and only this location. And they were thought to be from whalers who traveled and traded with the native people and the native people kept these pigs that they were given they kept them around the villages because the breed is so docile and generally do not roam so they're just chilling with the villagers <laughs> just happy to be there right porch pigs porch pigs who doesn't want a porch pig <laughs> and during the 1970s there were only about 50 cooney coons left on the new zealand island i didn't know that either about wow. these guys yeah so that's not very much and the 70s wasn't that long ago in the it really wasn't of things. it was like one person ago here you here you come (laughs) (laughs) gotta measure it in people so back then there were these two gentlemen who started working on breeding and importing these guys to other places and it became necessary to preserve these cooney coons so they were really doing the work to make these guys last and this means that all of the cooney coons we know today are imported from stock from new zealand if you don't know this is a small fat little breed and they have an upturned snout and like you can usually see their two front teeth 
They're like, think pug if you are not familiar with they're them. They're the pug of the pig world. Yeah. And they are pretty cute. They're really cute. And they can have waddles on the side of their necks, usually. They are really docile, and a quite a bit of people feel more comfortable starting with pigs because they're so fearful of large pigs. Um, so that's valid completely. Typically, they take 18 months or more to reach full size, and quite a bit of them is fat. So this would be considered a large breed, as opposed to a conventional breed that can finish out in six months and you get bigger cuts of meat. And that isn't to say that these guys aren't good choices, but it is something to consider. So if you want to feed your family fast because you don't have any meat in your freezer, uh, maybe think twice about getting Kunikuns. And Kunikuns need a lot less food than conventional breeds. And in fact, you do not want to overfeed them. Otherwise, they'll just be like little butter balls. You can make a lot of soap with them though. (laughs) (laughs) So much soap. So much soap. And they can come in many different colors and patterns from solid to spotted. And they come in black, red, white, cream, brown, etc. Like they're just all over the place. And there's a lot of good info on the breed on the American Kunikun Pig Society. There will be a link to it in our show notes, but please check them out because they have put hours and hours and hours of research into it. And there's pages filled with information if you're interested. And this is like the best site that I found on all of the pigs because there's so much dedicated time to these pigs. Yeah, people really love them. They are really cute. They are really cute. And actually a lot of people just keep them as pets as well. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Porch pigs. Porch pigs. (laughs) Porch pigs. Village pigs. They're going to call me for marketing. (laughs) They really are. Right. So the last one we're going to talk about are the Mangalistas. And these pigs are so easily recognizable because they are covered in a thick, curly hair coat. Sheep pigs. If you've seen them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, they do almost not look pig-like at all. They really don't. Yeah. They are, in fact, a lard breed with a medium body on a fine skeletal structure. And they were developed in 1833 in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but not formally recognized as a breed until 1927. Mangalistas were brought over to the U.S. Um, in 2007, which is insane. Yeah, that's um, pretty late. Yeah, and that was just the first round. And those ones came from Austria. The other, or some of the colors didn't come until even later than that. And then in efforts to get just more pure genetics, um, a, a bunch of hogs came from the Netherlands as yeah. well. So they come in three different colors, swallow belly, blonde, and red. Blonde being the most popular and the swallow belly ones, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, who knows what this is? Of course, Tara does. But they're like a dark color with a blonde belly. Yeah, they almost remind me of like how Rottweilers look. But I mean, do Rottweilers have? No. Oh, never mind. Is it bad? No. Pick a different dog breed. I don't know. I'm on the spot. Collies. Border collies. Do they have white bellies? Yes. Don't they? Well, they have white do bellies. So they're usually black with white bellies. Keep guessing dog breeds that we know nothing about. <laughs> border collies? You don't know anything about border collies? Where have you been? I don't know the belly color of border collies. <laughs> hey, Alexa. Uh, if you want to email us about border collar collies. Their bellies, Collars, specifically. Col- collies. Border collar. Border collar. <laughs> it's getting worse. Border collie. Color. Color. <laughs> Let us know it. No wow. podcast at gmail.com. Oh my gosh. We should bleep out our email for this whole episode. <laughs> Don't email us. Anyways, however they pertain to dogs, they have the swallow bellies <laughs> mean that they have a light colored <laughs> light colored belly. Blonde the blondes ones are definitely the, the most blondes. <laughs> the blonde ones are definitely Good. most popular. 
They have long noses and medium large ears that tip forward. They're known to have even temperaments and have a social behavior. And they're also prized for their ability to thrive in natural growing conditions, like forests and pastures and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, they're very social. They group together and stick together. And then um, they're also pretty good foragers as well. Mangalitas are ride or die. <laughs> ride or die pigs. They're also good in both hot and cold temperatures. I have to attribute that to... Their fuzz. Their fuzz. Probably right. their fat too, right? Just yeah. Just insulators. For sure. Yeah. Um, and as far as meat goes, they're you'll see them all the time branded as the Kobe of meat of right. pigs. It's like a niche market. Everybody says that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the meat is dark red and very flavorful, but something to know about them is that there isn't much of the meat. 60% of your harvest is going to be fat. Yeah. Which is a lot. So maybe a better tasting meat, but just not very much of it, which combine that with the fact that they're really slow growing, like two years. Yeah. Two years to, to slaughter these things. Yeah. And then, right. So you're two years in and then not very much meat. It just makes the meat really expensive. Yeah. And then say for us, like if we were searching for a breed, we would want something that we can feed a lot of milk to. Right. Because it's something that we have an excess of. Because we're milkmaids. Right. Right. Um, so don't do that with a mangalitsa. Because then it will be higher than 60% fat. Right. It'll be a butterball. Which, like, isn't healthy for them either. No. You want to feed these kinds of animals slow. So really do your research before getting this. And if you are starting into hogs and you're nervous about it and you really want a heritage pig, go with something that there's a lot more info on. So like large blacks are a good place to start. Berkshires are great. Like that's the best pig that you can get as a first timer. Really? They're my favorite. Yeah. Because they're hard to overfeed. They're hard to overfeed. And like, they're just like personable, pretty middle of the road on everything. Like they're really quite kind. You don't have to do anything special to get them there. They're just, they're not so susceptible. So like a pink pig, they lose a lot more heat because they're used to just being like pink, a white pig can't just keep their heat in really. They lose most of their heat. And then also they are very susceptible to sunburn. A Berkshire again is just middle of the road. They do fine in the cold. They do fine in the heat. If you provide enough shade and water for them to make a mud hole. And they still grow really fast. And they grow really fast. So they're a great breed to start out with too, if you're nervous about that. And you should be like, don't get a Cooney Coon and think that you can just free feed milk. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, they're they're better for somebody who has just pasture and not not a lot of extra resources. Right. Yeah, and there's definitely applications into which these animals fit, but not all applications are good for each animal. Right. So that's what we want you to take away from this. What was your very first hog breed? You know what? It was a Yorkshire. Was it really? Yeah. Yeah. But I brought a pregnant sow, which do not recommend. <laughs> but it worked out great for us. Yeah. Like she was a good mom and everything. Again. They're great moms. And she had 12 piglets. Yeah. Didn't lose one. Wow. So a lot of those were mixed, like with Hampshire. And again, I learned that when I put them on pasture, they got sunburned. So I had to learn mm-hmm. from that, which worked out great. Because then a couple of years later, you were like, hey, my pigs are doing this. And they were sunburned. Yeah. So you do learn, like you can put a Yorkshire on pasture. It's just, you got to work a little bit harder so that they have a lot more shade and they have a lot more mud that they can apply. But yeah, that was my first pig. And yours were Berkshires. Mine were Berkshires, yeah. Let's see. I'm trying to think of all the breeds I had. So Yorkshire, Hampshire, Berkshire, 
Large black, obviously. A red bottle. Yeah. I loved him. He was great. You've said that he w- We should have done them. You said that yours was great. And yeah. then um, I had somebody reach out to me asking about red waddles. If I knew anybody who had them because they had one once and just couldn't get over how amazing that pig was. Yeah. They're a great heritage breed to start yeah. on too. They're and hard to find. They are really hard to find. I got lucky. And then they have waddles. So that's always a plus. And waddles. How would you describe a waddle? They're, somebody who doesn't know. Um, do you know old timey men, how they had pork chops down their face? Like, do, I'm sh- it's an audio podcast. And <laughs> I'm like, acting it I'm acting it out. But like they had hairs that went down by, below their ears. Well, um, so the waddles are things that go under the pig's jaw. There's two like little dangly things, dangly, dangly bits. Flaps of skin. They're like uh, face balls. Face balls. <laughs> That's what they are. So there's one on each side. Those are waddles. Yeah. They're, they're face balls. Hangy downy things. Right. So that's what they are. But yeah. Oh, Mijin. Yeah. They're cool pigs. See, we could yeah. we should have done them too. We have so many pigs that we could do we'll episodes do on. We always do more. The breed ones are super fun for us. Right. And we learn a lot too. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. Tell us what your favorite pig is. What's your favorite pig? Mine? Yeah. Burks. Rude. Berkshires. I know. I... Oh, I had Tamworths too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we did. Those are not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> They're wild. They're, yes. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, we didn't really, we tried to comment on personality as much as we could on these, but like, you'll learn with the pre- pig breeds that you try. Yeah. Which I had no appreciation for until I met Tara. <laughs> she started sending me home with different pigs. Yeah. And like, what's interesting is you're, when you get into this, you're like, from my perspective, I was a little, in, I was in the intimidated camp. Of course. On pigs. Yeah. And we got Burks just because they were. Available. A, yes. <laughs> Did I say that weird? Yes. How do you say available? Just without an extra ooh. <laughs> you have to say it. There is. Right. I'm not going to out her age, but she's a mother with children, right? Yeah. Um, and she just recently today learned, she was today years old when she learned that she says available very bizarrely. <laughs> I don't, I can't say it available. There you go. Good job. <laughs> that sounds so weird. There's okay. just no extra ooh in the middle. Exactly. Exactly. There is a T in exactly, so that's okay. <laughs> oh, we can't make it through one podcast without making fun of my dialect. Right, but it's a dialect. It, I don't even know if it's regional. Does anybody else from, from Montana say available? <laughs> <laughs> Write us. <sighs> Let us know. Let us know. This is off the rails. What were it we really about? is. Berkshires. And I got them because they were available. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> and they were just great pigs. So I kind of fell in love with them and then wanted to explore out to other different breeds. So I got two Tamworths from Tara. Um, and then I got two large black Mesian crosses. crosses. Right. So it's interesting when you're in the hesitant camp and you meet these lazy Mesian large black pigs that are like so slow moving you could right. possibly be intimidated by one if you try <laughs> and they've got these giant dumbo ears that makes it impossible to take them seriously they're just really like big like like saint bernard dogs like they're really? so yeah. cool um and chill and so you go into that thinking i'm gonna have these pigs forever these are the pigs that i'm gonna have forever yeah a tamworth is the definition of a fart in a skillet <laughs> they're fast <laughs> And they're tall. They are fast. Yeah. 
God forbid you ever had to catch one of those no, things. No, you couldn't they're, do it. They're wild. And like when all pigs, when their babies are, well, I guess I shouldn't say all pigs. Most pigs, when their babies are a lot more flighty than when they get older. Right. And that's just a defense mechanism. Yeah. yeah they're, they're just, just made to get away. Safe. Right. So it's exaggerated when they're babies, right. for sure. But I had these like fat little butterball pigs, and then the Tamworths are like tornadoing <laughs> around them. Yeah. Um, but what I learned about that was that I almost found that the slow, gentle, calm pigs were more difficult to work with Yeah, because they just have no motivation to do anything. No, they're not food motivated. No, no. And they just kind of lollygag around, right. but they were also the ones that when you went out there, you could cuddle and right. give belly rubs to and yeah, enjoy really raising. Personable. So it's right. like every pig that you have is going to have a plus or a minus. Just right. like everything else, really. I but... love the large blacks because you can go out there with a bucket of feed and you're not worried about like being trampled over. Yeah. With the Tamworths, you're always like, okay, if I fall, that's the end. That's the end of it. That's it. And me. I never felt like that with the Berkshires. No. And then I crossed the Berkshires with the Durocs and I feared for my life. Right. Durocs are just wild. They were never aggressive, but you're right. Like just trying to get to the food, they would like wipe you out of they the knees. They don't care. Yeah. yeah. How'd she go? So that's awesome pigs. Yeah, we could really go on for a lot longer, but right. we're gonna cut it here because this thing is ridiculous tonight. <laughs> Milkmates after dark <laughs> together in Wyoming. In Wyoming, it's, it's very a, cold. It's a lot more controlled when we're separated. <laughs> right. Hey, happy milking. I hope it doesn't take you an hour and thirty minutes like it does us with four kids. Because <laughs> my one started decided to stay home because he couldn't be bothered. Right. So we have four. Four. But all right. Bye. Bye.